Welcome to DWeb Decoded, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of decentralized technology. In this episode, Molly McKinley, Head of Engineering, Product, and Research Development at Protocol Labs, and Danny O'Brien, Senior Fellow at Filecoin Foundation, discuss Blue Sky, ActivityPub, and the broader decentralized social media landscape. So sit back, relax, and let's explore the future of decentralized social media. Welcome to DWeb Decoded. Everybody, welcome to The Decentralists, where we talk to some of the movers and shakers uh, trying to build a better, re-decentralized web and internet. Um, I'm super excited today to be talking to Molly McKinley. Uh, I tweeted uh, earlier on um, that Molly was the the muadib of the Falcon universe. And for those of you who don't get extremely obscure Dune references, um, what this kind of means is Muadib is the person who can see the future in, in, in Dune. And um, for me, coming into the Falcoin Extended Cinematic Universe, it's a huge ecosystem. And I think people outside it don't necessarily realize that, like, because they only see one, one piece of it, right? So I, when I talk to open source, um, uh, free software hackers, people building sort of volunteer-driven protocols, um, free protocols. They know about IPFS, the interplanetary file system. Uh, when I talk to crypto and Web3 people, they know about Filecoin because Filecoin was one of the big pioneering um, uh, uh, alternative uh, blockchains. Um, when I talk to graybeards um, like me, um, who went through the other Web3, which was the semantic web, um, Tim Berners-Lee's project to link data together even more tightly and more computer-readably than the original web. Um, They know about IPLD, uh, the Interplanetary Linked Data um, Protocol, which is another bit of all of this stuff. Uh, And I was just talking to some people at the IATF, and they were talking excitedly to me about multi-formats, which is like yet another bit of standardization that the... I guess this this Filecoin environment, related environment, is doing. Um, so, no one has the whole thing in their head, right? Everybody has these little pieces, except for Molly. So Molly is the lead at Protocol Labs, who uh, hosts a bunch of the people who who designed um, and sort of spec'd out these protocols and built these tools. She actually leads protocol development, research development and product development in that area. So not only is it, not only does she has to keep all this in her head, she also has to do some of the aligning and directing and thinking about the future. Um, so Molly. <laughs> yes, I mean, I'd, thank you. I would also, you know, push back, like, you know, a lot of yeah, sure. getting to work super closely with Juan and, um, you know, who created, spec'd out and, and very much stewards um, amazing amounts of protocol development in the space, uh, but working across all of the engineering teams to make sure we have a um, kind of like cohesive vision across many different open source groups and communities. Um, and then also, you know, leading a whole chunk of engineering teams to, um, you know, make realize that vision. Um, so, I, you know, I it, it appreciate yeah. the, the, the pros, but I would really say uh, Juan's the Moadib and maybe I'm just following along with that <laughs> or something like that. The... Um... Uh, the yeah, there's definitely more people uh, with this in their heads. Um, but I, I sort of so okay. 
step back a bit. Like, how did you even get to the point where you wanted a job like this? Because you were at Google originally. Was this the, were you at Google before you moved to the decentralized world? Yeah, very much so. Um, so yeah, my, my background was uh, human computer interaction and especially building education technology. And so, um, you know, I was part of the team that built Google Classroom and uh, got to work with all of these teachers and students um, building uh, educational technology that um, kind of, you know, now luckily scaled really well with uh, um, COVID to enable people to work uh, not going to physical schools. Right. So uh, it turned out to be very useful down the road. Um, but uh, at the time, actually, that's where I got my first kick into, oh, wow, a decentralized internet and internet that worked peer to peer would actually be so much more powerful and empowering. Because um, I was working with these teachers and students who had really terrible Wi-Fi in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And they kept running into all sorts of issues communicating with each other directly using devices inside these little brick prison cell rooms with no Wi-Fi connectivity right. um, and having all sorts of problems collaborating with each other over things like Google Docs, which they wanted to do. So that was my kind of first foray into, I see the problems that users have with the internet today. And I see how a peer-to-peer -peer, um, kind of more resilient structure could really empower that individual agency and uh, a more, um, you know, collaborative way of working with each other that didn't require centralized intermediaries. And I spent some time at Google trying to get Google to <laughs> be more peer-to-peer -peer and empower these sorts of offline local use cases. And it just was antithetical to the code bases, the business models, the way that things worked. And that was a, you know, an initial nudge for me to start diving more deeply into IPFS and the technologies being built um, by Protocol Labs and others that could empower uh, a web that was much more um, collaborative, composable, um, and that didn't that designed around these centralized uh, organizations. Uh, and so I, I don't think I ever envisioned the role I have today and was like, that, uh, that's going to be my future. It was more, much more gradual. I uh, officially originally joined as a product manager on uh, GoIPFS, which is now called Kubo, uh, was um, the, the earliest IPFS implementation. Um, and then when uh, Falcoin started, um, you know, getting into the finish line uh, after leading IPFS for a chunk of time, started managing a number of the teams uh, doing protocol development and implementation development um, against Falcoin as well. And so that's kind of how I uh, have ended up in this role that bridges many of these um, open source protocols where we're trying to you know, make storage uh, and retrieval resilient across this whole stack of protocols um, where we're, you know, utilizing these Web3 building blocks, things like libp2p and IPLD, as you've mentioned, um, to build new networks um, that can also interoperate with um, all the data stored in Filecoin, retrieve it over things like the IPFS gateway, bring it to new networks where you can do compute over it, um, but just, you know, continuing that practice of building um, kind of like Web3 primitives and protocols that interoperate nicely with each other. So, I mean, I think one of the things that hits like a sort of someone coming into this space for the first time and seeing, I think a lot of them come through the same sort of um, uh, way you do, where they look and they say, hey, here's a problem that the big centralized companies de facto aren't going to solve. 
and there's a lot of good writing on it. There's a lot of good thinking on it. Peer to peer, local first um, uh, uh, systems is is the one that, that you saw in in education. Uh, and so that would be kind of like the lib P2P part, maybe, of, of the, 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 the stuff that, that you work on. Um, talking about the sort of passage of time and sort of starting on IPFS, um, which, you know, chronologically was the first sort of tool to, to come out with um, uh, uh, Kubo Go IPFS in that time, first thing to make a splash. Was there, was there a sense, for, for, it, it, given that you were sort of in the planning of all of these things, where it was, was it like, was there a big plan? Did Juan Benet have a big plan? Or was it like, okay, we have to fix peer-to-peer. Oh, that probably means that we need to come up with some content addressable filing system. Like, is, is there a big... Is there a big strategy or is it kind of like we go through and solve the problems as we hit them? I think there's a bit of both. Um, there's the big strategy of, you know, what is it? Content addressing is super powerful. What does that unlock for us? And how can we bring that to solve problems? And so the initial vision of there being, you know, a, a protocol like IPFS that allowed you to have a content address file system where you're fetching and exchanging data between many peer-to-peer nodes where the data is content addressed and self-describing. And then you have Filecoin as an incentive layer that allows you to offload long-term storage of that data to a set of nodes that are going to persist it when you close your laptop and your peer node disappears from the network, but the data that you care about continuing to make accessible sticks around. So like that vision was there from like the very early days when it was just Quan sitting in a room uh, starting to code up some of these open source protocols. But, you know, the the how and the evolution very much evolves um, as you uncover new problems. So, for example, you know, IPFS was in that initial vision. LibP2P, IPLV were not separate layers of the stack were not separate modules at the time. And it was really the, you know, the demand and nudging from other groups of like, oh, you're solving a peer-to-peer networking layer here in IPFS, but like, let's not make this one giant black box. Let's Mm -hmm. separate this out as its own layer so other people can reuse the peer-to-peer networking layer without having to buy into the whole IPFS node vision. Um, And so that's how you have blockchains like you know, Ethereum 2, Polkadot, Filecoin, many others using LibP2P, but not buying into all of the IPFS node uh, addressing and uh, DHT uh, content discovery and things like that. And similarly, IPLD was, um, you know, also pulled out from IPFS. So like both of those things happened over time and standardized as separate layers of the stack. Mm. and now you have groups like Blue Sky that are using IPLD without using LibP2P or Filecoin um, or IPFS. And, and so that's, you know, an intentional, it takes extra work, right, right. to do that modularization and that, that separation out of layers. Um, and it was to, you know, enable more collaboration, more composability, and, you know, avoid having everything be so bespoke within one stack yeah. that, uh, that you wouldn't enable any of that cross-collaboration or make these building blocks available to the rest of web three um so that you could you know help people not uh, resolve the same problems over and over again um and so that part of the vision happened i'd say more you know from an evolution perspective um you know falcoin in addition like 
the the vision of Falcon was always there, but exactly how are you going to solve, um, you know, some of those lower level problems? How are you going to harness Falcon to be an incentive for storing useful data instead of just a proof of work on top of hard drives uh, system that has no useful data involved in it at all, but is, you know, CPUs instead of ASICs. Right. Um, uh, like those, those are problems that, you know, when you get closer and you have an actual system design, you start chewing away at the specifics and, and that's evolving, right? So like, you know, day zero, it was, you have to have a GitHub ID and every GitHub ID got 32 gigabytes of data. Like then GitHub started getting a little frustrated. They're like, okay, we're getting off by people <laughs> who are trying to uh, get new GitHub IDs so that they can get more data storage uh, that's incentivized by the Falcon network. And so then there became, uh, you know, larger data, a notary system for approving larger data requests. And now there's a new initiative to have trustless notaries um, that mm -hmm. are doing kind of more um, like automatic uh, verification of data. And so, you know, that that whole incentive system evolves um, in order to solve the problem. And you don't see all of that from day zero when you're just setting out to like solve the big picture problem. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, so again, I'm going to go off on one of my things, but, but so from my experience, one of the nice things, but can be overwhelming is you go into the space and because everything that your teams and allied teams are doing is on GitHub, right? It's, 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 it's in the open. You can sit and watch the, the, the core developers videos where they discuss what they're going to do next. You do get this feeling of, Oh, there's a whole room here, a whole field full of like these toys that you can go and play with and, and pull out. And it's, it's all there, right? There's no, the black box is, is entirely transparent and you can reek in and pull out these things. Um, you talked a little bit about actually concentrating and trying to make these things more self-contained. Do you see, um, do you see now this, this thing, this, this, this broad universe as being a platform, like a stack where you kind of, if you want something at the top of it, maybe like, maybe like, a, um, Filecoin, you have to buy in with everything else. Or is it that idea of a pick and mix, like a, 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 um, a thing where you can, you can choose a little bit of it and go off and do your own thing. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see it as like a, it's a stack where higher level things build on the things below, but that you could grab things at each layer of the stack and be like, okay, well, this thing solves my problem. Right. Um, now I'm going to go and build on that part and I'm going to do something different than like the rest of the stack. Um, Filecoin does build on Lip2P, build on IPLD, uh, interoperate with IPFS. It doesn't buy and do all of it. These are not right. fully overlapping um, circles and ecosystems, but it is building on top of those primitives. So grabbing Falcon and being like, I don't want this blockchain to be IPLD isn't going to get you anywhere because it is IPLD. And, <laughs> you know, uh, so that's, you can't change that as a consumer of storing your data on Falcon. Um, that's like a, a, a core comp component of that ecosystem. But you could for example, like Blue Sky does, BIPLD without being um, libp2p or other things like that. Um, and you can, of course, abstract the complexity of a stack away from users. So it's completely reasonable to have all sorts of users who don't want to think about um, interoperating with lower layers of the stack, and you can create interfaces that hide that complexity for them. And so that's how you have groups like 
um, Estuary, uh, which is I think now uh, Falcon Web Services, and uh, Web3 dot storage and FT dot storage, which are hiding lower layers of complexity. Where it's like, great, just you give me a CID of your IPFS data, I will make sure it's stored on Falcon for you. Um, we now have some uh, actors in the Falcon virtual machine that are doing that same sort of thing. So we have Lighthouse Storage, which is also doing both uh, replication um, and also like long-term storage. So automatically renewing storage deals and um, doing kind of like the endowed storage model on top of Falcon. And so great, you can interface at those higher levels of the stack and just not have to worry about what's happening underneath. And I think this is this is something probably, I mean, people in the Falcon space know this all too well, but like for, for, for others, I think the other thing that makes this fascinating is I kind of implied at the beginning that you were in charge of everything. And to some extent, you're, you're leading a lot of these initiatives in a lot of areas. But this is an ecosystem. Again, like the, one of the first things that struck me coming into this space is there's this sort of initial implementation of IPFS, there's this initial implementation of Filecoin, the Filecoin client, um, Lotus, and, uh, and, and those were built, you know, you, 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 you were the person sort of leading that, but you also, as an organization, have sort of supported alternative, I mean, not even alternative implementations, right? Like parallel implementations. Like the, the reason why Go IPFS, as I understand it, is not called Go IPFS anymore and is called Kubo is to sort of emphasize that you are building one of hopefully many different implementations of the, the things that speak these basic protocols. Can you speak a little to like why that's so important to like how 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 you how you're building out this ecosystem totally yeah and and this is true at every layer of the stack so like you know there are multiple different IPLD implementations in different languages i now hear there's a, seven different libp2p implementations in um, you know different different languages as well more than 20 different IPFS implementations. I've lost count at this point. I just discovered three new ones. Um, so I don't even know what that means, the total count now. Uh, and then there's three different uh, Falcoin uh, node implementations uh, working in the Falcoin network. And that's really important for the kind of like resilience and optimization of these networks. IPFS and libp2p are both great examples of like each of those implementations is there's a set of things that they agree on, but there's many things where they're optimizing for different use cases. So you have IPFS nodes that are optimized to run on mobile devices that are optimized for running within a gateway infrastructure configuration, optimized for um, running in like a highly scalable like cloud infrastructure um, on AWS. Uh, optimized for running on like a local node that you're, you know, managing on a server, like different configurations very much and node implementations that set different defaults, um, different parameters to um, make a better experience there. And that's where you want to get where you have like, you know, great, here's like the things we need to do to be interoperable. But then you have a wide variety of choices as a user for, um, you know, optimizing for your context, because not one, you know, we're not in a one size fits all environment, your desktop computer, your mobile phone, your watch, uh, your web process running, in, you know, across many devices, they have different um, needs, capabilities, uh, constraints. Um, similarly, the libp2p implementations are in different languages intentionally to make it really easy for developers to not have to 
retranslate um, their networking stock and layer into a foreign um, language when the rest of their application is JavaScript or uh, I think Zig is the the new P2P implementation. Oh, I love I'm Zig. Familiar with? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. you know, so that differentiation is is really good. And so those are maybe the two uh, things to highlight, both the uh, optimizing for different use cases and making sure that there are many groups collaborating in this space, you know, uh, pushing each other forward, um, catching different parts, like, for example, working back and forth with the forest team in Falcoin um, as, you know, building out the Falcoin network was super useful. Um, the forest team, uh, which is uh, I think mostly funded and staffed by Chainsafe, um, caught, ended up building out the um, built-in Falcoin actors in Rust, which now form the core of the Filecoin network. Um, you know, they're written in Rust. The rest of the Filecoin virtual machine is Rust and Wasm based. And so, you know, the whole Filecoin network rebased from Go actors to Rust actors that were written by Chainsafe. Uh, and having that, um, you know, diversity of, of different groups who are building these core modules that can then, you know, focus on maintaining and improving um, different parts of the network. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's also great to be in a world where you could have Falcon implementations optimize for, say, better um, storage provider software and hardware uh, configurations versus running light nodes that work really well for smart contract builders. And so, um, yeah, part of the reason that we, you know, operate so OSS native so transparently is so that we can have very low barriers to collaboration across all these different groups. um, And we can kind of like share roadmaps you know, developments, changes in direction as quickly as possible so that we can kind of stay in connection um, with each other and and adjust our priorities. But, um, I mean, in the same way as it's, it's much easier to run an autocracy than a democracy if you're the autocrat. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, th- this is probably good for, like, growing an ecosystem and, you know, but it's a bit like rebuilding a jungle. It, it, it's... It, it must make your job a lot harder. Like, how do you get everybody on the same page? Do people have to be on the same page? Do you, do you, like, how do you convey all of this? Like, if, particularly if you came from, like, an environment like Google, where, of course, you have a lot of power because you're Google, you can just say, oh, we changed that API, and, like, what are people going to do? Totally. There's trade-offs, right? Like, it's more chaotic. Um, welcome to Web3. It is definitely more chaotic. Um, <laughs> But that's, that's, you know, that's worth the trade-off. We are constantly struggling with like information overload. We put out so much, everyone does in this space, but up so much information, but then sorting through it and trying to help, you know, uh, have venues where you parse through, okay, in the past month, what are all of the new things? Let's like sum up, up into one all hands where we try and, you know, page into all of the important updates and publish that and stick it on YouTube as like a summary um, that the bring together newsletters that highlight, you know, the the different notable changes and, and updates. Uh, but it's definitely, uh, you know, creating the right set of collaborations and trying to sort through information overload is a constant, you know, challenge of working openly and transparently. Um, there's also like OSS maintainer uh challenges of dealing with many drive-by comments that, you know, that's that's just part of working right. in our environment and developing uh, techniques and resiliency um, against those sorts of frictions. Um, so it's a trade-off. I, I would say like, you know, at least from my time um, 
you know, working in education in Google, like there was some amount of top downness, but there was also like often 10 different teams working on like right. a similar set of problems, at least inside Google without clear, you know, which one of these communications technologies is actually going to emerge and be uh, used long term. So some of that chaos is not unique to Web3 and is actually common inside other larger organizations as well. Um, so I just, you know, ha had some amount of uh, experience and exposure to uh, there being lots of available information that you had to sort through um, yeah. to make sense of where things were heading next. And that is definitely the challenge of coordinating different teams in Web3. Like even, you know, I managed something like, uh, you know, I don't even know, 16 different engineering teams at this point. And then there's 50 different engineering teams across the PL network that are um, you know, collaborating, working with each other, sharing information, um, like partnering on different uh, initiatives. And so that's that's a lot of information complexity that we have to, to work through. Um, my favorite technique, just to throw one out there that I think is, it's, it's been unique to the teams I've worked on. I think Juan might've come up with it um, uh, back in the day. It's called a decision table. And I'm in love with this new technique um, you pretty much write down all of the different things that you could be working on. You write down the facets that you care about that mm -hmm. would factor into the decision. You fill out this table and you color code each cell, whether it's good and green or it's bad and red or in between and yellow. And it helps you make your decision in a more structured way and share that decision-making process asynchronously with a huge community of other people that want to understand why an important decision was made. Um, and it, it's a great technique um, for open async distributed teams to uh, make decisions in a kind of like faster cadence without, you know, having to, to lean on some sort of top down decentralized or centralized control for, um, for each decision. And so um, I recommend that technique if you haven't yet used it. Oh, that's great. I, I, speaking as someone who is literally a, sitting at my dining room table with a million index cards in front of me right now, because I'm like scribbling, I've got like all the descriptions, all the technologies and things. I'm always looking for like better visualization and organization tools. And, and I mean, just the, the other part I would say is like, I, I like you have worked in like these big um, brand name organizations and also into the more sort of like anarchistic kind of uh, open decentralized and transparent systems and people always say you know do you ever crave the calm of the big company and you're like no the only difference between these two things is you you're getting to see how the sausage is made and the the only difference here is is that that you may be horrified by how the sausage is made but you're invited to to help fix that rather than rather than just, yeah rather than pretend it's not happening or have someone like say tell you it's 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 all fine you don't need to worry about the ingredients um talking of ingredients no this is a terrible segue um so everybody want uh, we 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 sort of put out a call and said hey what what should what should we talk talk about here and everyone's like oh talk about blue sky and i had like a thing of going uh, on on twitter is this another reason we're going to get thrown off um but everybody's really excited about it i think you, you and I, and lots of people in the in, in, in our world are excited about it because um, we've got to see it grow behind the scenes a little bit. I mean, when we you were you okay? 
I remember a time when like Jack Dorsey, there was like this thing where Jack Dorsey was like, and his CTO were like calling the smartest people in the decentralizing space, like dragging them in and talking to them. Um, like, and, and I think you were one of those people, right? Like, so what did you, as a, as a sort of bystander participant, like what, what have been your thoughts as Blue Sky has been sort of emerging? Yeah, um, yeah, there was kind of like an initial like interviewing of various different um, members right. of decentralized ecosystems to kind of understand, um, you know, how should we go about this? Then it was, uh, I think that must have been January of 2020. 2020, yeah. Yeah, and then, um, you know, kind of over the next three to four months, they kind of just brought those folks together let them loose in a GitLab area and was like, I don't know, like talk to each other and figure out like what blue sky should be. And so it was me and Jay and Matthew Hodgson from uh, Matrix and uh, Ian uh, Yiannopoulos from PeerGhost and uh, some other folks who, who I hadn't met before, but uh, were part of kind of the, the group that was collecting various different ideas and information about, um, you know, the different technologies that you could build on um, and the challenges you'd run into and putting forth candidate high-level architectures. Um, and so it was like a Saturday uh, every week, we'd like get online for an hour or two and like jam on some ideas, which was really fun. Um, and then that kind of like petered out and then resurfaced six months later by surprise with like, great, here's an ecosystem report. <laughs> Suddenly that GitLab right. is public. Woohoo. Right. Um, like, okay, that's awesome. Um, great to, to make sure that information is like accessible and kind of moves the conversation forward. And then Jay very like amazingly took up the torch um, to like go and make Blue Sky actually happen. Um, and it's been awesome to see, like, you know, they've, they've made a ton of great decisions about, um, you know, focusing on getting a thing up and running, balancing both the protocolization and the iteration of building a community in public as you're building the protocol. Um, I think they've built an amazing, like beautiful application um, with like, a very small team um, to uh, actually start. They made some really smart decisions as well within that, like using domain names um, as your handle makes a ton of sense. Uh, and so it's, it's just really awesome to see that evolving. Um, they, you know, were at IPFS camp in the fall, sh uh, sharing how, how they're harnessing parts of IPLV for that self-describing uh, content address data side of things. And really the big thing we super, every time I chat with Jay about this, it's like data portability is so important and yeah. that's critical to something like Blue Sky, where you're trying to have um, the data of your public conversation be able to move between many different types of UIs and interfaces. Um, and so you need to have, have a content address data model um, that can be interpreted by each of those different applications that wants to be the interface to the user. Um, but I think they've made some smart simplifying assumption in the early days of, you know, hey, this is gonna be more of like a federated model, more similar to matrix in that way, in terms of mm -hmm. allowing your kind of like uh, your federated system to handle things like content moderation and, um, you know, uh, the permissioning and, and easy on-ramp for all sorts of users instead of trying to go straight to like hyper decentralization peer-to-peer, -peer, which can, you know, be a, be a much harder onboarding experience um, today because we're still working on building up some of the primitives. Uh, but it's been, you know, we're super uh, 
excited to see that project continue to move forward and um, huge uh, cheerleader. And there's now a growing IPFS community on Blue Sky as well, which is pretty fun. Yeah, the, um, yeah, so I, 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 I want to get a little bit wonky here just because I know that one of the um, uh, people are trying to really wrap their head around the protocol because the protocol is being kind of built out as, as, um, as, as you say, a small team is sort of like thrashing out the problems. And so it's not like one of these things where the documentation comes down from heaven and it's all super polished. Um, and I do know that, you know, IPLD is this sort of jewel in the crown of the, of the Falcoin um, uh, ecosystem stack. But I think it's one of the things that is less well known outside of the space. So, and it's, it is, it's IP, is it IPLD that they're primarily using from, from the, from our stack? Um, I believe so. I know that there's been some conversations about parts of libp2p that might be useful as well um, mm -hmm. for kind of like enabling some of the peer-to-peer -peer networking components. Um, but I believe IPLD is like the main, I mean, multi-formats is part of IPLD as well. Right, so right, right. both, you've both of those there, but um, harnessing that as part of the um, AT authenticated transfer protocol um, that allows you to transfer and verify this data on both sides. Um, okay. so that's my understanding, but I also haven't dived into the I know. things of Blue Sky, so uh, Jay would be a better person to ask for that. I'm gonna, gra I'm gonna grab Jay to to come talk. If I imagine she's got a lot of spare time at the moment. The um, uh, so okay, I'm gonna do multi formats, and then I will ask you to explain IPLD because multi formats is a lot easier. <laughs> I hope. Um, so multi formats viewers. Um, is basically a way that you can describe something like a, you know, a number like a hash or maybe a key, um, one of these things that is just, you know, a huge set of numbers. Um, and basically what you do is you put that, you, you just, you, you encode that huge set of numbers, but you wrap it in a little thing that, that describes what it is. So if you get given this strange list of numbers um, and you're like, what is this? you can actually run a program and it says, oh, this is, this is a hash. This is a, um, a, uh, a, a, a key that is in using this particular encryption format. So it's super useful in our space because it means that you can pass around this data and, uh, and other things can look at it and, and, and immediately work out what it is. Um, Molly, what is IPLD? Yeah, so... IPLD is um, kind of the set of data models that power content addressing inside of IPFS and Blue Sky and a number of other uh, organizations. Uh, kind of breaks down into a few components. And I will admit, IPLD is like one of the areas that I constantly feel like I run off the end of my grokking of, of the depth <laughs> of this data structure work. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the core of IPLD is the CID, is the content ID, um, and that's also the core of IPFS. So it right. um, makes a lot of sense. There's also a number of data structure types in IPLD that are content-addressed data structures um, that allow you to, you know, lay out your data in different ways. Um, and then there's also a number of, like, tools for working with, transforming, um, and, like, creating interfaces to that data within IPLD. Um, if you go to IPLD.io, that has a website and it also has a pretty good documentation um, site with a primer, um, mm -hmm. which can help 
break down some of the different uh, components. Um, generally, at least uh, listing there, you know, you have your uh, content IDs, you have codecs like DAG Seaboard, DAG JSON, um, you have kind of like the overall data model, model for how you do things like pathing into um, directories. Uh, you have a whole set of uh, tooling around advanced data layouts. Um, and then there's a, a set of existing schemas. And so, you know, those are some of the components that exist within IPLB. Um, if you want to just like, you know, abstract levels higher from IPLB, you know, IPFS does all of that for directories and, and normal file data. Um, Filecoin actually does a lot of stuff that works with very, very large data getting compressed into uh, a, an IPLB structure called a CAR file. Uh, CAR right. is content addressed archive file. So these are, you know, tend to be larger, uh, you know, archives of data um, or, or like bundles of data, if you will. Um, and then some folks are, you know, like uh, Blue Sky, which is using IPLB for kind of the, the Merkle tree of data that a user um, is like tweeting over time that would then need to be loaded into uh, another application. You know, again, that data portability side of things. Uh, so I'm not your best explainer. Uh, I can also point you to the Launchpad curriculum has a whole module on IPLB and understanding IPLB in more depth which has a great explainer video in it from Rod Vag, who um, has written some of that curriculum. So I would point, point users that way. That, that is a great, that, that, that was great, actually. <laughs> like, I think that this idea that like we, we have content addressable, and I saw people going, yeah, 100%. Um, uh, I, so content addressability is this sort of secret source in, in, in the Filecoin IPFS vision of, of decentralizing where you don't have to point to a location, right? You don't have to say, here's some data, here's a web address to it, here's a URL, that URL is a, to a Google Drive or whatever. You just say, here is an address for this data and it will find it wherever it is. Um, and I think that this, this idea that once you have that secret source, one of the first things you start thinking about is, okay, I know where this data is, but how do I, how do I link it together with other bits of data? Because now I can, because it doesn't matter where it is. I can pull in stuff from wherever it is. Um, and the beauty of this, I don't want to sound like an investment, but the beauty of like playing with IPLD is you hit this problem and then you go, oh, someone solved some of this five years ago and I can like pull in the rest of the stack. And I think that's kind of what, 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 what the, 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 the pre-thought of uh, Blue Sky was. Okay. Yeah. You know, I haven't, I kind of, one of the things I wanted to talk about now we only have five minutes was like, what's, what's happening next, right? Like uh, you, you were just at the compute over data conference, right? Um, yep. And the big thing that, that I know that your team has been working on for the last year is the Filecoin virtual machine, um, which is super exciting and usually what we end up talking about when we meet. Um, uh, uh, tell, tell, tell us about, like, if for people who last time they looked at Filecoin, they were like, oh, I get it, decentralized storage. What's the stuff that is now on top of that? Um, that the means that it's, it's, it's more than decentralized storage right now. Yeah, so now you have uh, programmability on top of Filecoin with the Filecoin virtual machine um, or Bevum Filecoin Ethereum virtual machine um, because it is fully EVM compatible. Um, so now we have 
uh, a whole community of builders who are creating awesome smart contracts that live on top of Filecoin. Some of those are doing cool DeFi things, interacting with uh, Filecoin storage providers to help them gain access to uh, collateral and liquidity. Um, some uh, groups are focused on the internal workings of Filecoin storage. So doing things like permanent storage, like Lighthouse, where you're you know, auto-renewing deals over time. Um, some folks are just abstracting away deal complexity and like, great, like use this smart contract and we can now program across some of those um, storage internals of Filecoin and make it a lot easier um, for various applications. So like there's a little NFT forever bot that does like auto-renews for them of uh, the, the NFTs that have been stored in Filecoin, which is cool. Um, and there's a lot of groups that are now thinking about data DAOs. So getting a community together to govern um, like a data repositories, long-term storage and growth and being like, great, yes, this is the data that we want to preserve as a community. Um, and we're going to, you know, put up resources together as a group. We're going to, um, you know, fund the long-term storage. We're going to govern what data is or isn't included. And then maybe we will hire some of that data out for, um, you know, compute jobs that might recur value back into our data community um, that we can mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, bring across all of our participants or use to fund that data set's future storage or things like that. Um, and so there's a lot of really cool building that's happening on Filecoin. And a lot of it does start touching into um, this whole compute space. Um, there's kind of a, a, a like an a increasing movement around great, you know, we have this exciting with tons of open data um, stored in Filecoin, we have the Internet Archive, um, we have lots of scientific data sets, we have, um, you know, archives with, um, you know, songs and videos and all sorts of interactive content, uh, or, or, you know, tons of text content. What if we start uh, building compute uh, functionality over top of this. And so you have, uh, you know, the first smart contract on Filecoin that's running compute jobs over data stored in Filecoin um, and then allowing users to enter a stable diffusion prompt and get an image back that's been trained um, and, and tuned on a specific artist and is sending a, you know, a payment to that artist for the compute being run over top of their data set, um, which is just really cool. Uh, and I think what what I expect to see and what, you know, a chunk of my teams are working on, but many teams across the whole Filecoin space um, is enabling FVM to have that level of like programmability, having compute over data networks be able to use the building blocks that have been created inside Bacalhau, which is a set of building blocks for people who are running kind of content addressed decentralized uh, compute networks and start building layer twos on top of Filecoin using this new technology called uh, interplanetary consensus, IPC. Um, so now you can have a new compute network running on top of Filecoin as its own subnet um, that's interfacing with, you know, say you have a storage provider that's also running one of these new L2 nodes next to their data that's scheduling compute jobs, that's returning um, new images or new data back to the users that are running these compute jobs. Uh, and that can have their own consensus models, their own tokens, their own um, ecosystems built on Filecoin. And so uh, a large <laughs> chunk of my team, that's one of the two focus, foci that we're, we're working on. Um, that's our compute over data and scalability focus, where it's like, great, we need to be able to support L2s. We need to be able to support FBM builders. And we need to be able to support creating really exciting um, compute use cases, harnessing Filecoin data, harnessing FBM, harnessing the ability to create subnets. So that's like one main track of work. Um, the other main track of work is really around 
um, storage and retrievability. So there's right. um, new Web3 CDN called Saturn. Um, there's a couple of different these. There's also Titan and a couple of other groups that are putting forward Web3 CDNs that are building on Falcoin. Um, Saturn's the one that, that my team's been working on. Um, and they are, you know, working on productionizing this, you know, uh, network of L1 uh, points of presence or POPs as they're called in, in CDN parlance. And there's now, I think, oh, two, between 2,000 and 3,000 POPs um, in the Saturn network that are serving retrieval requests. And we are working to integrate that to power the IPFS gateway so that the IPFS gateway has more global points of presence that are being run by a decentralized network that are able to fetch data from anywhere else in this ecosystem. Kubo nodes, um, like archive nodes, Falcon storage providers, uh, or even HTTP servers that might be being run by um, any particular group. So Elastic IPFS or, or other groups, um, anything that's uh, uh, addressed within either the IPFS DHT, which is getting a new name soon. I think we're going to call it banana um, or <laughs> uh, is being addressed in the interplanetary network indexer, which allows you to index all the content that's stored both in IPFS and Falcoin storage providers. And so that's that storage and retrievability helping all of the now it's almost an exabyte of data stored in Filecoin. And I have no metric on how much data is stored across the IPFS network, but all of that data be accessible and acceleratable through these Web3 CDN networks um, that can start, you know, helping OpenSea and many other large scale groups that depend heavily on this for NFTs or other large scale content addressed archives um, start retrieving and making use of this data um, efficiently at scale. And so that's the other kind of main track of work is um, helping first IPFS Gateway and then many other users uh, harness Saturn to um, you know, support that retrieval infrastructure for them and interface directly with all of the, you know, unify all of these many places your data might be stored into one retrieval pathway that will then do caching around the world um, to make your content highly accessible. Um, so those are kind of like, you know, we do a lot, many other things. We do maintenance, we do <laughs> open source collaboration, but those are maybe the two main tracks of major upgrades coming to Falcoin and IPFS. Um, there's a really exciting pathway around compute and a really exciting pathway around, um, you know, retrieval and accessibility. I'm, I'm totally impressed because you just compacted like the two last two conferences that I went to three day conferences into four minutes. So great. Okay. Now I feel like, you know, the Muadib kind of like we, or everybody here now has like some vision of the, of the future. And just to kind of link it to the past, and one of the things I really like in this space is that, you know, whenever I start, part of my job is I, I, I my job is to worry about re-centralization, right? That the, one of the things that the, the jobs of the Falcon Foundation is to make sure that we don't create all these de decentralized systems and then they just immediately glom up uh, in the same way as the decentralized web turned into a very centralized infrastructure. And I think that, the thing I will extract out of the two things you talked about there, which is, you know, uh, decentralized compute and decentralized distribution of data, is those are both aspects that it could be really easy to centralize on, right? Um, there's, there's an obvious solution where you just go, oh, well, then the data goes and is processed on, you know, Amazon AWS or... Um, or frankly, you know, the web gateways, right? The, the, you know, the, there's a potential point of centralization where no one uses 
well, very few people use IPFS in a protocol, but everybody uses, you know, three web gateways. Um, and I'm super excited about Saturn because it really feels like, I think, the decentralization that people um, um, think about a lot, right? Because it's a, it's like um, folding at home or, or one of these things where there's a lot of different nodes and you're getting this data that is being stored professionally by storage providers who are these big companies who, who do the crypto magic on the, on the Vulcan network. But then you have people getting small streams of money uh, of, of, of Phil Filecoin for for what they have, which is that they are on the edge of the node and they are very close to other people. So they are the perfect people to run a CDN node rather than, you know, a big centralized CDN um, provider. I have spoken too much. Um, we have uh, 10 minutes to go and I would love to open this up for questions. So if you have a question, I believe you can just hit the I have a question uh, button. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna cede this a little bit to Joe because Joe, um, who is is the giant Filecoin logo to your left, um, is much better at spotting uh, questions than I am. So, does anybody have any questions for Molly? Yeah, we uh, we've got a question from Ramesh. Ramesh. Uh, regarding like since FBM is already deployed. And it's uh, already being worked on by a lot of projects like Lighthouse. Uh, <clears throat> one question I have, like, uh, what is the like status of cross-chain payments, wherein people uh, who have funds on other chain can make the payments uh, on FVM, uh, using FVM, and they don't have to, like, use bridges. Like, native payments, cross-chain payments should be enabled, I guess. Because uh, in this day and age, no one can say, like, uh, all, the pay all the funds are uh, held by a single chain itself. Totally agree. Um, there's a couple of different solutions. You, you mentioned the bridging one. There are uh, a number of bridges that uh, kind of handle cross-chain payments and are deployed on FBM right now. Uh, I think Teller, Axelar. Um, there's also a number of groups that are doing like currency swaps um, that are deployed on Falcon Network. But there is, I'll point you to one really interesting group that maybe fits more the um, example you're looking for, which is the Magmo team that has previously been part of the um, Retrieval Markets Working Group um, and collaborating a lot with Saturn, they have a uh, kind of like a streaming payments system, which, you know, it's a payment channels model, but you can use it between different blockchain networks. And so, for example, you could do, uh, you know, vouchers between two entirely different networks. You can deploy something like Magmo on both endpoints, and then you could do streaming exchanges or swaps or transfers between those networks without having to have any trusted bridge party intermediate it, which is pretty cool. Um, and I wish I knew the, the very latest status. I talked to that group at um, Lab Week last year, and I believe they were on track. They were presenting at the Retrieval Markets um, workshop uh, and summit. So I bet there's a I know for a fact that there is a video of that that's up on the Falcon YouTube. Uh, if you search for Retrieval Markets Magmo, I bet you'll find it. Um, but I don't know the latest status on that and whether or not it's deployed and ready for production. Um, and so that might be an interesting thing to look into if you're um, not, not looking at the bridges use case. Um, but, uh, you know, there definitely is also some interest with things like uh, IPC subnets 
um, to then you can have things like one second block times, you can have fast finality consensus algorithms, um, and you can do much faster cross blockchain uh, transfers of data inside of a subnet. We're looking at, okay, what are the things that we can do within Filecoin mainnet to improve uh, finality and uh, cross-chain transfer um, from like a DeFi perspective. But if there's something specific, I'd love to connect you to the um, FDM builders group because they're working on supporting all sorts of folks that are, are building uh, use cases on top of that. And maybe there's something that we're missing that we should really be pushing on. So if there's an example out there that you're like, oh, this should deploy on FDM, tell us and we'll go talk to them and try and help them make it happen. That's great to hear. Actually, I was building a solution for cross-chain payment streams. And one of the use cases was wherein people can uh, launch a stream on one of the uh, originating chain and the transfer of funds happen to the FVM and the data is stored until the stream uh, is gone going. So uh, that was one of the projects. That's awesome. Yeah, that was, that was one of the projects that I was building uh, like in close, what do you say, uh, terms with Axilla Network. And let's see like <laughs> if I can build it or not. <laughs> yeah, let's make it happen. Uh, I, yeah, feel free to DM me and I'm happy like to connect you with the, the folks that are, you know, it sounds like you're already working with Axelar. Axelar is already deployed on FBM. Um, yeah. So we'd love to get this. You know, again, it's fully Ethereum compatible, so you shouldn't have to make any changes if you're already deployed on any other EVM network um, to, to deploy it on Falcon. Uh, the main problem. Thanks, yeah, thanks, thanks. Thanks. I won't, I won't take how much thing. No, no, it's fine. But I was just saying thank you. It's a good question. <laughs> uh, the main problem that I was uh, facing uh, to build this project was since a lot of already token streaming platforms are already deployed on different EVM compatible chains. Uh, the main problem that my team was facing was how to sync up the streams that are originated from the instant finality blockchains like Matic or uh, let's say Celo itself. And how to sync it with uh, other blockchains. And that was one of the things that we were facing an issue with. And we're trying to like find workarounds. Uh, pretty soon, like uh, we'll come up <laughs> and connect with the Filecoin ecosystem. And just to uh, just a heads up, like uh, Filecoin was the ecosystem that supported my journey and Web3 in the starting itself. It was Chainlink Spring Hat 2021, and after that, uh, it was like Filecoin Dev Grants that I got, and that is what propelled me to build a gaming uh, startup right now that I'm working on. Oh, that's, that's fantastic, amazing. Ramesh. Where are you? Where are you based? I'm based out of India. Uh, whereabouts in India? Uh, Uttar Pradesh, Kanpur. Nice, nice, nice. So I, I mentioned just because I wanted to flag for everyone that IPFS camp, which I think is happening in October, uh, will be in uh, in, in uh, uh, actually Bangalore, I, I, I believe. Bangalore, right, right. Um, so uh, we know that there's a huge and really. Uh, um, uh, advanced community in India working on a lot of this tech and so we wanted to move to where the, the action was so if you're interested in IPFS and you are in uh, India or Southeast Asia that's um, that's coming up in the calendar thanks a lot Ramesh thanks, thanks, thanks any, for sharing that um, no no problem uh, are there any more questions not at the moment no I have kind of one, and like we only have three minutes, so and I'm opening it kind of worms here. But Molly, I'm really interested that you were in human computer interfaces originally. Did you ever go to SIGCHI? Yes, uh, this is a funny story. So um, 
I was actually, I was a press coordinator of uh, Kai back in, that must have been 20, 2009, I think so. And I'd, you know, been attending uh, throughout university. But ironically, I didn't realize this at the time, but as a small child, I used to go to Sig Kai every year with my parents and attend the kids club. Um, oh, wow. I had no idea what my, my parents did. Honestly, I was like, oh, yeah, they do something with computers. Next. Um, and I only found out after I discovered human computer interaction that <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, I found my passion. I know what I want to work on. And my parents like laughed me out of the room. <laughs> this was like their domain of specialization. My dad did, uh, uh, you know, graphics visualization, you know, was one of the early people at Tableau. Um, figuring out how to do uh, graphics in a way and data visualization in a way that was accessible to people. And my mom did fluid documents um, and, uh, you know, uh, human friendly debuggers and all sorts of exciting stuff. So, you know, the field of HCI had moved forward by the time I got into it, but they set a lot of the, you know, ground rules that uh, pushed the field to exist. And uh, it was just really cool that, you know, maybe there was a lot of subliminal messaging as a child that just made its way in there <laughs> such that I ended up being super excited about this domain. Well, may maybe it's, you know, usability is an inherited condition or um yeah like so your second generation human computer um which is designer. about as, as many generations did, as you right. possibly be because that you know my parents are both math majors because cs right. did not exist as a field when they were going through it um and it wasn't something you could you know major in uh and so yeah it's, it's been super cool to be able to talk shop about some of those things uh with my parents and now i get to do all sorts of interesting distributed uh yeah. networking distributed systems which is not the field that i studied but something that i've gotten to learn a whole ton about on the job which has been really interesting well that's that that seems like a, a great a great way to wrap up um i mentioned Sika, i genuinely didn't know that story um uh but um if if anybody here is interested in the frontiers of usability or just watching some cool stuff um you can um uh Sikai is a great place to go or watch the videos and also apparently a good place to raise a raise a kid um to do great things so um molly Thanks very much. That was Thanks amazing. So much, and um, uh, look forward to seeing what, what's happening next. Yeah, thank oh. you all so much for hanging out. And let me know if there's other questions. Feel free to DM me whenever if there's um, anything I can do to help. I love connecting people in this space and or just being a cheerleader uh, for the amazing things people are building. Um, and if you do have any questions, I'm also happy. I have office hours and I can send you a link. And talking of links, if anybody uh, wants to keep track of what's going on in this space, I would strongly suggest that you follow the Filecoin Foundation um, Twitter account. Um, there's also, um, somebody reminded me the other day of Filecoin News. If you go to the filecoin.io blog, um, we have actually a really good newsletter, which is an excellent summary of some of these things um, that are going on right now. And probably the easiest way to channel that um that vision of the future so thanks a lot everyone see you next time thanks danny thanks molly